0: This week's episode comes with a content warning as the cases involved deal with children, abduction, and sexual assault. From these cases grew awareness and advocacy to educate parents and children about the dangers of online predators. Predators have easy access into children's homes and bedrooms through their phones and computers. Today, I am also going to talk about what to do and look for to prevent this from happening in your own home. I've talked about To Catch a Predator with Chris Hansen on this podcast before. If you don't know it, it's a show where police and journalists capture and arrest grown men grooming and seducing children online. When the predator shows up at the decoy house set up by police, they are confronted and arrested. On the show, I witnessed one of these men tried to lure what they believed to be a child into their vehicle where later police found a loaded gun another episode i watched the police found a bag in the back of the predator's vehicle containing a knife a roll of duct tape and a video camera this is far from the only predator caught that brought a video camera These undercover investigations have been so successful that it shows man after man arriving at these decoy homes one after the other, and the police have to escort one predator out the back door as another predator arrives through the front door. This is a massive problem, and it is bigger than anyone could have anticipated. If some people question Chris Hansen's show and don't see some of these predators as dangerous, Let me assure you, they are. They appear pathetic, weak, and sad, but again, I assure you they are also evil and dangerous. How can we prevent these predators from gaining access to children, and what should we be looking for? Well, come hang out with me while I talk true crime. and welcome to Hell No, a true crime podcast with your host, Lauren Lucio. Today, I will be going over two different cases with different outcomes. The first case I'm going to be going over is the case of Alicia Kozakiewicz. This is one of the first ever online predator cases to be brought into the public eye. Alicia was 13 years old, living with her family in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in 2002. The family Christmas tree, still standing in the living room, lit up with the warm glow of decorative lights. Christmas Day had already passed and all the presents had been opened. It was now January 1st and the new year was as fresh as it gets. Unknowingly, this was going to be the night that changed Alicia's life forever. Six months earlier, Alicia had made a friend online. Social media platforms were yet to exist. This was one year before MySpace. There was no Facebook, no Instagram, no Snapchat, and she certainly didn't have a cell phone. The internet was still in its infant years at this point. The top songs from the year, just to paint you a picture of where we're at, the top songs were Hanging by a Moment by Lifehouse, Fallen by Alicia Keys, and All For You by Janet Jackson. And the most memorable one for me would have been Drops of Jupiter by Train. These were the hit songs at this time. The world was also just introduced to the very first sensational Harry Potter film, which is Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. The computer Alicia would use was in the common space of the home where her parents could easily see what she was doing it was a big chunky cream colored box that took up a lot of space she would chat with her friends from school in chat rooms then she would start to chat with her friends friends who she didn't know who didn't go to her school she would start to chat to them in these chat rooms and she was just chatting with friends of friends friends of friends and eventually she made this one friend I remember this time very well. Alicia and I were born in the same year, making us the same age. So I could imagine our online experiences would have been very similar when the internet was just coming about. I remember how fun it was to chat to my friends uh, and their friends who didn't go to my school. It wasn't uncommon for kids to do this. It was new. It was exciting. And it was it was a, a way to reach outside your social circle and communicate with other kids your age that you would have never have got the chance to chat to without the internet. As Alicia's meeting all these new friends, eventually she meets a predator posing as a child. This predator is 38-year-old Scott Tyree, a man from Virginia. To this day, Alicia will not speak his name. She refuses to say his name and for good reason I will now refer to him as what he is and that is a predator Alicia and this predator chatted for six months over those six months Alicia didn't know it but he was subtly grooming her to eventually abduct her chain her up in his basement and carry out his disturbing and degrading sexual fantasies The grooming process was simple, yet extremely effective. This predator posed as her friend of similar age and he would console her and comfort her when she had bad days. He would tell her she was beautiful and he was her good friend and he would never hurt her and she's so smart and he lured her into thinking he was this great confidant that thought she was perfect. For a 13-year-old girl, this would have been really nice to hear. 13 is a tricky age for girls, maybe for boys as well. I don't know. I can only speak of my own experience. And it's an age where confidence is easily shook. There can often be a lot of self-doubt. And to have someone reassuring you at this age that you're doing everything right and you're beautiful and you're smart and just reassuring you on a daily basis, it it's going to really Make that 13-year-old girl think, oh, wow, this is such a good friend to me. Like, this person is so wonderful to me. I trust them. But anyone being that nice, they must not mean any harm, right? Wrong, 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 wrong. This is exactly how online predators operate. He means nothing but harm. None of this was known yet. Alicia's case was one of the first online predator cases to make it into public view for people to look at this and, and talk about it and say, holy shit, what the fuck happened here? So after six months of chatting, this predator says he wants to meet Alicia just to say hello. Alicia can't believe she has this opportunity to say hello to this quote-unquote friend she's never met in person. She's been groomed for so long that she did something she said was very out of character for her. On the night of January 1st, 2002, her and her family were having a New Year celebratory dinner in their family home. The house was safe and sound. Her parents were there. It should have been an impossible task to abduct her from this safe haven, This is the night the predator told Alicia he would come by her neighborhood just to say hello. And then she could sneak out and and greet him and then sneak back into her house and her her parents would never know. So there must have been a pre-planned location and time because after Alicia ate dinner, she told her mother she had a stomachache and wanted to go lay down in her room before dessert. Her mother thinking... There's no harm in that. She agreed to this. As Alicia walked away from the dinner table, she did not go to her room. Instead, she snuck out the front door and walked up the street. Not even that far from her home. She could still see her home. This was a freezing cold night, it's January in Pittsburgh, the temperatures are sub-zero, everything is covered in snow, and yet Alicia walked out of her home without shoes, without a jacket, without any winter clothing on. The amount of grooming she had endured almost seemed to possess her. She describes it as she was walking almost like a robot. And this is where it gets very scary and very real. As her mother prepared dessert for the family, Alicia is wandering around in the dark, freezing night looking for her quote-unquote good friend. And she said at one point she realized how she might be in danger and her thoughts were telling her to go home where it's warm and where it's safe. Like, what are you doing? Go home. This is dangerous. She had this voice in her head and it was Starting to even yell at her, she says. So, this voice was getting very pronounced. And as these thoughts were starting to consume her, she heard someone call her name. The person calling her name was the predator from his vehicle, this friend, quote unquote, friend, she had been talking to online. This predator had driven roughly five hours to get there, and he was not about to drive home without his victim. Alicia doesn't recall exactly how she got from the street into the vehicle, but the next thing she knew, she was in the passenger seat of the Predator's vehicle. It was very clear this disgusting man was not a child. Once inside the vehicle, the Predator grabbed Alicia's hand and squeezed tightly. It was as if he was going to break her bones. He was holding it so tight. This predator is easily three times her size. He is a massive 38-year-old man. He weighs 300 pounds. Alicia is a 13-year-old girl. She weighs 86 pounds. She's very petite. And this man is grabbing her by the wrist, keeping her in that vehicle. The predator made sure to let Alicia know that he had cleared out the trunk and he would put her in it. In the back seat, she could see a bag with ropes and chains in it. Possibly paralyzed with the fear of what was happening, Alicia, she didn't struggle. And this man is so much bigger than her. She didn't have a fighting chance in her mind. This is what she's thinking. And later on, the public would give her a lot of flack for this. They would say to her, why didn't you kick? Why didn't you scream? Why didn't you fight? And she says that's, Could have that would have been the worst thing for her to do because he would have tied her up, he would have put her in the trunk, he may have even killed her, he could have strangled her in the process of that. So she was doing what she had to do to survive. Alicia, she had a glimmer of hope as the vehicle approached a toll booth stop on the highway, and anyone would think, including her, that this was her best bet to get help. As she cried in the front seat, the Predator paid and drove off. The crying 13-year-old girl went unnoticed by the toll booth operator. And this happened repeatedly throughout the five-hour journey back to Virginia. When Alicia and the Predator reached his home in Virginia, the nightmare got even worse. She was taken down into his sick, sadistic basement a torture chamber of a room. He unlocked a padlock door and forced her inside. The room was completely, totally dark when she entered, so she couldn't see anything. The predator placed her on a table and told her, and this is so fucking chilling. He says quote he says, quote, "This is going to be really hard for you. It's okay if you cry unquote." Him saying that is so fucked up because he knows full well he has this little girl, this child, completely terrified, and that what he is about to do is fucking evil. He knows this. He planned this. And yet here he is still grooming her, still pretending to care about her. It is so twisted that he said that, in my opinion. It's just so... Oh, it makes me so angry. It's just so fucked up. I just don't know how people can be so evil. When he turned on the lights in that room, Alicia was horrified. The room was filled wall to wall with what appeared to be torture devices. This is when, so trigger warning, I'm about to talk about some sexual assault here. I'm not going that into depth, but I'll put the trigger warning here. This is when the rape, the degradation, and the torture started. So again, I'm not going to go into depth with detail here with what happened over the next four days, but I will say enough just to get the point across of how sick and pathetic and evil this man is. As soon as he brought Alicia into his basement torture room and turned on the lights, He then took off all of her clothing, forced her to be naked. He locked a dog collar around her neck with a padlock on it. And there was a chain attached to that. And that chain was then uh, padlocked to the floor. The rape and torture happened immediately. And it continued every day that she was trapped there. The predator used torture devices to hang her from the ceiling by her arms while he beat her. He shocked her with electricity, and he kept her in chains every day. At first, she did put up a fight, but after he broke her nose, causing her blinding pain, Alicia realized compliance could be her only chance to survive. This twisted, pathetic, small fucking monster of a man took photos and video of the abuse and even live streamed it on a website for other predators and pedophiles to watch that's right there is an entire community online where these sick little fucking bitches congregate this live stream was actually what brought him down and saved Alicia's life on the fourth day Alicia knew her time was coming to an end and that she was going to be killed that night. She truly believes this. The predator told her, quote, I'm beginning to like you too much. Tonight I will have to take you for a drive. Unquote. Alicia knew she he, this drive wasn't going to be good. It wasn't going to be him taking her for a drive and releasing her alive. She knew full well she wasn't getting out of this situation alive. As this abuse and torture was being live streamed that day on on day four, I believe it was. A man watching the live stream, who, by the way, is another predator, saw this live stream. This man realized he was watching this missing girl who was on these posters for missing and exploited children. He was witnessing her being raped and tortured and, and this was all being live streamed. This man did not contact FBI because he felt bad for Alicia. No, no. He called because when, and I say when, because there it, there was no if about this. This was a when. When Alicia was eventually going to be murdered and the FBI tracked the predator down, they would be able to see that this man had witnessed this and did nothing. This man contacted the FBI to prevent himself from being prosecuted. This is actually very compelling because laws are largely in place as a deterrent for people, but rarely do we see this play out. And and here we do. The FBI, they're contacted by this man witnessing this live stream. And this man, he gives the FBI the screen name these videos are being live streamed by. The FBI promptly tracked the screen name to an address the address was where Alicia was being held captive in Alicia she was alone that day in the house uh, she was being held captive on the second floor bedroom so I she must have been being moved from that torture room in the basement to uh, the second floor of the house in this room she was also chained to the wall with a 20 plus foot chain and this chain was padlocked around her neck which there was a a leather collar around her neck. And she was terrified. She was terrified and she was mostly naked. She heard the house door get kicked in and she heard a lot of people running around and yelling. It would have sounded like chaos. And she's 13. She doesn't know what's happening. This really scared her because she thought it was people coming to kill her. Uh, So she hid... Under the bed there was a bed in this room and as the FBI gained entry into the bedroom she was in all she could see was their feet she couldn't she couldn't see anything but their feet it didn't take long for the FBI to see movement under the bed and they didn't know if it was a child or the predator or there had been a cat that was running around the home apparently this cat kept jumping out at the FBI as they they swept each room of the house and at first, The FBI agent, John Moeller, you can hear him talk about this on Inside Crime. He sees the top of Alicia's head and he thinks it's this cat. But then he quickly realizes, oh, it's a person. Uh, And he screams, oh, we've got movement. And then Alicia tells the same story where she hears the FBI say, oh, we've got movement over here. And they go over. Their guns are drawn. Because, again, they have to be 100% sure this isn't somebody who is going to harm them? They don't know for sure that this is Alicia. They go over with their guns drawn. They ordered her to come out from under the bed with her hands up. When she made her way out, uh, she saw a gun being pointed at her, and she's desperately trying to cover up her her naked body. She realized quite quickly it was the FBI. She saw the letters, and she just, she just said it was the most beautiful letters to see. Basically. And very quickly, the FBI realized, hey, this is the girl we're looking for, and she was going to survive. She was saved. The FBI saved her from this fucking predator who was holding her captive and was definitely going to kill her. She was going to live to see another day. The FBI went to the predator's workplace to arrest him. He was working for a computer company called Computer Associates International, FBI agent John Moeller, the same agent who discovered Alicia hiding under the bed, he walked into that building looking for this predator. As he scanned over the office building floor, his eyes landed on a man and he knew. He knew that was the guy they were looking for. Agent John Moeller had no idea what the predator looked like, but he just had a gut feeling as he was looking at this guy. And he was right. And they caught him. Alicia's parents were notified that their daughter was found safe and was alive. And her parents, they wanted to get there ASAP as soon as possible. But they couldn't get on a commercial flight because the media was swarming to cover this story. There was so much media attention. Alicia, she was placed in a wonderful, caring, loving foster family home that night. And she was told, hey, your parents are gonna come here they're gonna come get you they you know they really want to come see you and she waited up all night for them she had no idea her parents were delayed due to this media frenzy and eventually and this is really sad she thought they didn't come that night she's waiting up for them all night expecting them to walk through the door any second they don't come and she starts thinking to herself oh my god They're mad at me. They don't love me. I did something that was so horrible. It's my fault. I did something wrong. And they're not coming because they don't love me. It's just so sad. It wasn't until the next morning she was informed her parents were delayed because of the media attention. And the FBI chartered a private flight for her parents that day to get to her. And the day she was reunited with her family... They hugged so tight and for so long. I'm sure there was a part of Alicia's mother and father that thought, oh, we might never see her again. She's been abducted and we don't know where she is and we might never see her again. To four days later, hugging and holding her. It, It is a miracle. It really is a miracle. The FBI had the video footage the predator took of her while Alicia was being held captive and abused. And a few months later, I believe it was a few months later, after her rescue, Alicia, she did watch a small portion of this in order to confirm that it was her. In order to aid in this investigation, she had to watch a a small clip of of herself being sexually assaulted and and tortured and just it would have been so fucking horrible and she's still so young and she has to watch this with the FBI to confirm it's her it would just would have been so (sighs) uncomfortable is not even the right word it would have been re-victimizing her like she would have she just would have been re-traumatized from this but she did it she did it. She confirmed it was her. She aided in this investigation. And she does say it was it was an incredibly hard thing to watch. And phew, I bet that just sounds like a, a nightmare. A couple of years later was the trial. And Alicia, she had to go into the courtroom and give a victim impact statement. And also face this motherfucking predator. She was getting back to normal life at this point, And she really... She didn't feel good about doing this. She didn't want to do this, but she had to do it. It wouldn't be until 17 years later that she would deliver another victim impact statement against the predator that really made her feel empowered. At the original trial, Scott Tyree, the disgusting predator and abductor, he took a plea deal. He pled guilty to sexual exploitation of a minor and also travel with intent to engage in sexual activity with a minor. Why he didn't get any rape charges is beyond me. He filmed himself raping a child. Surely that's enough evidence. He was sentenced to 19 years and 7 months in federal prison, But he got out two years early and was released 17 years later in 2019. Alicia was not notified by the courts or police of this. She was notified by a journalist. This journalist told her that the predator who had abducted her and tortured her and sexually assaulted her 17 years ago was living in a halfway house four miles away from where Alicia's parents live in Pittsburgh with no ankle monitor and had been there four months. Why the hell did he move so close to her parents' home and why was that even allowed? Alicia no longer lived in Pittsburgh, but her family does. And she was worried that this man was so close to them for sinister reasons. Also, she visited her parents regularly and shouldn't she be free to do that without worrying about running into this monster who abducted and and tortured her as a child? I think so. Alicia, she was shocked. She was absolutely shocked how badly she was failed by the courts here. They are supposed to let her know these things and they had failed to do so. Nobody contacted her and was like, hey... That evil fucking piece of shit that did terrible things to you, he's going to be free and we're placing him in a halfway house four miles away from where your parents live. Nobody said anything to her about this. Alicia was determined to get in front of the judge because she had something she wanted to read to them and this is when she made her second victim impact statement and this time, the man who abducted, tortured, and raped her, he was a free man, and he chose to go to this. After reading this victim impact statement, she said that it was different this time because she chose to be there. She had years and years to process everything that had happened, but most of all, she chose to be there, and she felt empowered from reading this victim impact statement Unfortunately, the predator, Scott Tyree, uh, he was allowed to stay in Pittsburgh at the halfway house, but later returned to prison because he violated his parole by going on porn websites. He was then set free again in 2021. Where he is now, I have no idea. Let's take a moment to talk about all the amazing things Alicia accomplished in her life so far, It is a long, long list. At the age of 14, she started an advocacy program called the Alicia Project. This program involves spreading the word about online predators and how they operate in order to keep children safe online. Alicia did and still does go around to schools educating children and parents and teachers on... Not just that online dangers exist, that's a big part of this program, just telling people, hey, these exist, this is what could happen, but how to be safe online and then she shares her story as well. On her website, which I have linked, it reads that the Alicia Project promotes internet and child safety awareness. They advocate for missing and recovered persons, and they are battling against child sexual exploitation and human trafficking. Then there is Alicia's law. In 2007, Alicia made big moves, and from her testimony, which was in front of the House Judiciary Committee, about how important internet laws are in order to protect children from predators. Editors. This led to the 2008 Protect Our Children Act. Alicia's law works alongside a nonprofit organization called Protect. Protect's goal is to protect children. On the Alicia's Law webpage, which again I have linked, it reads this about her organization. Quote, Alicia's Law provides a dedicated steady stream of state-specific funding to the Internet Crimes Against Children task forces. By creating a new revenue stream, Alicia's Law builds permanent capacity for children rescue teams, revenue that will not fall victim to early fights over or cuts to the general budget. Alicia's Law focuses on securing state funding for the Internet Crimes Against Children's Task Force, a network of 61 task forces that makes up the backbone of US capacity to fight child exploitation. The success and impact of Alicia's law is measured solely in arrests and child rescues, and no funding is embarked for nonprofit organizations or other related purposes. Unquote. Alicia's law—it has been very successful. And just to give you an ex- give you an example of how successful it is, in 2018, in just one state, the state of Wisconsin, so again, just just one state, this law assisted in 1,000 child predators being caught and arrested. Again, this is in just one state. Alicia's Law provides funding, and in Wisconsin, this funding included providing law enforcement with a canine officer who is trained to sniff out computers, cell phones, USB, memory cards, and anything electronic that a predator has hidden. They named the dog in honor of Alicia Kozakiewicz, and this dog's name is Kozak. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children awarded Alicia with the Courage Award in 2007. 2008, she wrote a book called You're Not Alone, The Journey from Abduction to Empowerment. 2009, she was awarded with the Jefferson Award for Public Service. She's been involved in training the FBI in the Youth Violence Victims and Perpetrators Program. Alicia, she has also graduated with a Master's in Forensic Psychology in 2016. And her achievements, they just keep going and going she has done so much she's absolutely remarkable the fbi agent who spotted alicia chained up in the house of horrors that day when she was 13 years old was fbi agent john moeller he is the same agent who arrested the predator scott tyree at the computer company that he worked that scott worked at this fbi agent john moeller he saw alicia in person again for the first time since that day 18 years later, when Alicia was working with a group constructed by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. He tells this story on Inside Crime and he explains how it was emotional. Uh, Seeing Alicia in person, doing so well, doing so much good. So what is Alicia teaching children and parents about how to keep their children safe from online predators. What can we do to try to ensure our children are not falling victim to these disgusting pedophile predators? Technology, it's changing at a rapid rate. It can be hard to keep up with. And it can be hard to keep up with how predators operate. So there is really no silver bullet just because things are changing a lot and evolving and these predators are finding new ways to groom and and lure children Uh, but Alicia's first mission the first thing that she wants to do is just inform children and parents that online dangers are very much real and there are many many predators online looking for children just she just wants to get that message out there like listen there is a danger it's online any child with a phone or computer is at risk. These predators do not discriminate, therefore no child online is safe. She does, however, offer tips such as teach your children to never share personal information online. This could expose their location or identity. The scary thing to me is that predators are even using their real Instagram and Facebook profiles these days. So if your child is on these social networks... Then once friended, it is easy for predators to gain access to all kinds of information, even your child's home and, and school, real name, photos, their parents, everything. That's what's what's so scary about uh about this. The Alicia project recommends keeping privacy settings on for your children's accounts and checking them often. Also make sure geotagging is not on and make sure they are not using the check-in feature which literally documents and puts out on social media where they have been slash where they are and it could tell a predator where they go often and where they are in that moment. The website recommends talking to your child about why these things are dangerous, why location Uh, check-ins are dangerous why geotagging is dangerous Uh, and just inform them that hey this is what you're putting out there Uh, another tip is to have access to your children's devices know their passwords read their messages know who they're sending them to know who their friends are keep up to date with social media platforms know what ones they use and how they work Alicia stresses to parents to keep an open line of non-judgmental communication with their children so that the child doesn't feel embarrassed or concerned like they're going to get in trouble or something when they go to their parent about these things. That one, in my opinion, could be the strongest weapon used when fighting predators advancing. In an interview Alicia did with Anthony Padilla, she talks about a method called sex torsion. And this is something these predators use. This is something that happens when a predator has convinced a child to send them an explicit photo of themselves. This could be a nude photo, for example. It could be a partially nude photo. It'll it'll be an explicit photo that the child should not be sending. Once that happens, the predator can gain control over the child saying, hey, I'm going to send this photo to your mother. I'm going to send this photo to people in your class. I'm going to post this online. I'm going to do whatever with this image unless you send me more or unless you do this or unless you do that. If and when this happens, your child has to know that they can go to you, to their parent and say, oh, no, I did something I shouldn't have done. And this person is saying they were going to post this picture or or send this picture or do this or do that. And then the parent can intervene. And this made me think that the predator that has this explicit image of this child, they're in possession of what would be classified as child pornography. Once that predator is reported and that image is found, they are going to possibly have legal implications, but a child, they might not think that way, or they might not even know that that's a thing. That's why it's so important for a child to be able to confide in and trust in their parent or a legal guardian about this if it ever happens because an adult would be like oh who has a half naked photo of you or who has this explicit photo of you boom roasted you could easily take them down now in that interview Alicia did with Anthony Padilla she talks about how she would refer to the man who abducted her as a monster but it's really important to know that predators look like any average person out there And can be anybody, can be your neighbor, can look just like your neighbor, can look like people in your community. She says by calling them monsters, it's almost sounding like it's something we can't fight, but really they're just puny little evil humans. And I love that she said that. (laughs) I love that she said it. She's totally 100% right. Predators are pathetic, they are preying on the weakest members of society children. It is just, it's disgusting. It's pathetic. It's sad. Now I want to talk about a missing persons and maybe you can actually help this family find their missing daughter. September 15th, 2019, Alicia Navarro walked out the back door of her home in the early morning and has never been seen again. Alicia did leave a note and what it read was alarming. She wrote, quote, I ran away, I will be back, I swear, I'm sorry, unquote. Then she signed her name to it. Alicia was just 14 years old on this day, which is roughly three years and eight months ago at the time of this recording, and FBI police, her parents, the community, people are still looking for her. It is believed that possibly Alicia may have been groomed and lured out of her home by an online predator." She went missing from Glendale, Arizona, but she could be anywhere. Look up a picture of her now so you know what to look for. Maybe you have seen her or maybe you will see her. Her name again is Alicia Navarro, A-L-I-C-I-A, Navarro, N-A-V-A-R-R-O, when she went missing, she had shoulder length, a bit longer than shoulder length, black hair, brown eyes, round face, braces, between 85 and 95 pounds. Uh, Alicia is a Hispanic female. She is autistic. She's very good with technology. She'd be about 18 years old now, and her birthday is September 20th. Alicia went missing September 15th, just before her 15th birthday, which makes me wonder if the Predator promised her a birthday gift if she. She met with them in person. I have linked an article in my show notes where you can submit a tip if you know anything. The article is by Undercover and it's titled Missing Alicia Navarro. Alicia's mother Jessica, she noticed some changes with Alicia months before she vanished. This was noticeable because Alicia... She needed routine. She only wanted to wear long-sleeve shirts even in the summer. She would only eat the same foods. She would only listen to the same music. Change wasn't something Alicia was comfortable with. Alicia asked her mom for backless tops and wanted to dress more revealing. She asked for makeup and and body sprays, and she was getting into bands like Pink Floyd and also comic books. She really wanted a comic book from the Iron Man series called Demon in a Bottle, but when she finally got it, Alicia didn't even look at it, didn't open it, didn't read it. Who was influencing Alicia is the question. It would appear someone who liked comic books and classic rock. Alicia became interested in supplement powders and working out as well. Alicia, she's very good with computers and she spent a lot of time online playing games such as Minecraft and also was on Discord. Minecraft Discord is something I had never heard of, but from what I could see, from what I understand, it's like a Skype or a a chat room situation or something similar, which allows gamers, game enthusiasts, whatever, people who enjoy Minecraft to share things like memes uh, and uh, play the game on the same server and also private message. There's calling, there's video, um, chatting, you know. She did have friends from school, but she seemed to prefer to stay home and be on her computer this was her solace, I could imagine. Her, her mother says with Alicia having high-functioning autism, face-to-face socializing was, was challenging for her daughter. Eleven days before Alicia vanished, she messaged a 20-year-old man on Discord. She told the man about how she sold her Xbox and how she was p- playing guitar and how she had a boyfriend. Three days before she vanished, she messaged with a friend from school saying she was planning to run away, maybe to California. This is not something anyone could have ever imagined Alicia saying, so perhaps this wasn't her idea. Previously to all of this, Alicia's mother had discovered an unsettling message. Someone had sent her daughter. Someone online asked Alicia, if she liked stuffed animals, and they followed that with, I can be your stuffed animal. This message is no doubt extremely creepy, predatorial, and disturbing. Because of this message, Alicia's phone was taken from her, and her mother and her therapist talked to her about how dangerous online can be. Alicia said she understood, and she regained her online privileges. Her mother did everything she could in this situation, including going to police about this, but it was not investigated by police. Jessica, Alicia's mother, she monitored her daughter's online activity. She intervened when she saw something unsavory. She talked to her daughter in depth about the dangers. In this day and age, kids use computers, phones, and the internet every day. Every day, all day, it seems. There's no way around it. She couldn't keep her daughter offline forever. That's what makes this war so hard to fight. The Friday before Alicia vanished, her anxiety was so crippling that she stayed home from school that day. Alicia and her mother spent the day together hanging out, going to get Alicia's eyebrows threaded. They went to a chocolate shop. They just had a really nice mother-daughter day together. The next day was Saturday, September 14th. It was a normal day. Alicia seemed to be feeling better at 1 a.m. So it's now technically Sunday, September 15th. Alicia's mother could hear her daughter laughing in her bedroom. Alicia came downstairs to get some water and she started chatting with her mother and she asked her mother, hey, um, what time do you plan on going to sleep? Alicia's mother Jessica she was waiting up for her husband to get home from work and he got home around 2 a.m. and they fell asleep mom and dad both fall asleep sometime between then and 7 a.m. evidence shows that Alicia packed a black backpack with silver kitty ears on it. In this backpack, she packed her phone, laptop, makeup, body spray, and that Demon in a Bottle comic book. It is important to note she did not pack her chargers for any of her devices. Not taking chargers would mean she didn't plan to be gone for a long period of time. She then snuck out the back door, leaving it slightly ajar. She then pushed chairs up against the fence and climbed over and out of the yard. The muddy footprints shows she left alone. When Jessica... Alicia's mother woke up the next morning at 7 a.m. She noticed the back door open and she went to check on Alicia, but Alicia was gone. Four days later, someone said they spotted Alicia 1.5 miles away from her home in a park with an African-American man who had tattoos on his neck, face, and hands. Unfortunately, nothing came from this lead. Despite massive efforts going in to help find Alicia, she still remains Missing. There were billboards put up with Alicia's photo and description offering a $20,000 reward. There was a silver alert put out. Investigators questioned men fitting the description of the man Alicia was allegedly seen with in the park. Uh, The FBI, they are involved. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children are involved. And now you can also help look for this missing girl, Alicia Navarro. Someone out there knows something that can bring Alicia home to her family. At first glance of this information, to me, it looks like there is a strong possibility an online predator is involved. Maybe she was groomed into believing that she would go see them and get a birthday present and was told to bring her phone and computer. Maybe those were the devices she was communicating with this predator on. Maybe the comic book was for this predator. You know, there's just so many things pointing to being groomed. Alicia, she had a desktop computer for gaming and she had a laptop that she used for school. Those were left behind. Alicia's mother, Jessica, started a TikTok account called Missing Alicia Navarro uh, through this platform, she spreads awareness about her missing daughter, and also it serves as a platform to warn children about the dangers online. Please check that out for more information. That concludes this week's episode. Feel free to follow Hell No a True Crime Podcast on Instagram and TikTok at Hell No underscore a True Crime Podcast, and get notified when a new episode is released. Please take a moment to rate Hell No on whatever app you're listening on if that's an option to all online predators I say hell no thanks for listening and see you next week